0: Well, as we begin this series, just want to let you know, I've been following Jesus for a while now, and as a follower of Jesus, you know what, I have been lonely at times in my life. I have walked through the death of uh, my young teenage nephew who was hit by a bus some years back. Um, I recently walked through the tragic death of my sister um, just months ago. Um, I walked through... My dad's cancer, which led to his death. I have personally walked through life altering depression. I have walked through the devastating destruction of relationship and marriage. I have walked through deep, deep, deep pain. And I know you have as well. You have too. None of that is unique to me. We have all been hurt. And we have all hurt because this side of heaven, life hurts us all. And all of this has happened to me since I've become a follower of Jesus. Since I have begun following Jesus, since you have begun following Jesus, you have hurt as well. You know, this is part of God's kingdom. It's part of the experience that we have this side of heaven, and it can be painful. You know, Jesus had a lot to say about the kingdom of heaven and our involvement in that kingdom on this side of heaven, this place where we are, earth. So let's get some words straight from Jesus today. And this whole series, we're drawing from one story that Jesus told Today, we're going to look at just one of those verses. This is Jesus who is telling a story, and it's a story that he has made up specifically to teach us something. And today, we're looking at this very first verse of this story. Jesus taught them, and here is how he began. Matthew chapter 25, starting with verse well, verse 14, which is where we'll be. Here's what Jesus says. The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by, now this is Jesus telling this story, and he understands something very clearly, and so he's going to explain it using this story. He knows what he wants them to know. He's going to explain something that only he knows, but now he's letting them and us in on this this information that only God knows. So he says, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man. Now, this man in this story is Jesus. So Jesus is telling this story, and and this man in the story represents Jesus himself. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. So Jesus became man, God himself put on the flesh and bone and blood of man, he became fully God and he became fully man. He did that for us. And he did it for one purpose, so that he could pay the blood sacrifice required for our sin. And then... After that sacrifice was made, when Jesus died on the cross, he returned to heaven to where God the Father is in heaven. And once in heaven, Jesus then sent God's Spirit. So we understand the Bible talks about God being three, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, but yet somehow they are only one. Our minds, my mind, cannot comprehend that. But that's how God describes himself to us. So then Jesus, God the Son, sent God the Spirit to earth After Jesus left, after he died, rose again, went to be with the Father in heaven, he now sends God the Spirit to replace him on the earth. But before Jesus left, he promised, I will return. He said, I'll be back. <laughs> no, he probably didn't. But he did say, I'm coming back. I will return. So Jesus, in this story is away on a long trip. He is still away. Back to the story. So, before uh, the man in this story left on his trip, it says, he called together his servants. So, we can think of these people as, in today's terminology, as his employees. As those people close to him, those people who are loyal to him, he calls them together. And then it goes on. So he calls together his servants and entrusted. So let's pause there. He entrusted, which means he looked at them, these people close to him, these people who were his employees, his faithful, his loyal employees. He looked at them and he assigned, he entrusted, he assigned responsibility for them to do something to put something, the man was putting something into their care, into their protection. The man going on the trip looks at his employees, looks at those who are faithful to him, and and he believes in them, he trusts them, so he places something in their care. Now, it's very important to understand what this story is and is not saying. There's only one owner in this story. These employees, these trusted uh, friends, these trusted people around him are not the owners. This man who has all of this that he is entrusting, he, this man is the owner. He's the only owner. He's giving something, handing over something to these other people. He's entrusted them with something, which means they are not the owner. They are the manager. One owner, it's the man. He gives them, hands something over to them for their protection, for their care, for their maintenance, So, they are going to manage something that he hands them. They're the manager, not the owner. So, in this story, if the man is represented by God, by Jesus, then that means Jesus has something. Jesus, in this story, Jesus being God, he's the creator. That's who God is. He's the creator, he's the owner. And his followers, the followers of Jesus, in this story, they are the servants. They are the employees. And he is, God is trusting them with something. Do you realize that God, no matter what your background is, no matter what your experience or inexperience or bad experience has been, God believes in you. And he's trusting you. This is pretty significant. So he asks them to manage something for him while he's gone. They are not the new owners. I'm not the owner. You're not the owner. The people that Jesus is speaking to here, they are not the owners. They are the new managers. Big difference. They are trusted. They are trustworthy. They are seen by the owner as trustworthy enough to place something in their hands that they don't own, that still belongs to him. And he asks them to manage it. And what is that? So the story goes on. He called together his servants and entrusted his money. In this story... This man hands over his money. Now this makes a great story. (laughs) This makes a really good story. Because everyone listening to this story, as Jesus was telling it, understood the value of money. And so do we. We do as well. And this owner is handing out his money. We understand. Money talks It talks now, and it talked then as well. I do want you to understand this. The main point of this story is not the money. The main point is not what he hands over to his trusted employees. It's important, but it's not the main thing. You know what the important, the main thing is not what he hands over The important thing is that it is what he is handing over is his. It's the owner's. It's the man's. This money that he is handing over has one single owner. And that's it. He's not asking them to take ownership. He's not asking them to take that money and treat it as their own. He's asking them to take his money that he's giving them and he's asking them to treat it as he would treat it. That's what a good manager does because they're not the owners in this story. He temporarily places this money in their care and he asks them to remember that it is his money not theirs. Now, Jesus is the main character in this story. He is the man in this story. Jesus is the owner in this story. And if you are his follower this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus, then you in this story are the manager. You are not the owner. It is his. It is not mine. It is not yours. So let's pause for a moment. What exactly does Jesus own? If the main point of this story is not money, then what exactly is the list of things that Jesus does own? In this story, Jesus is using money. It makes an easy good example that's what Jesus used and and true it is true it is a true statement that all wealth all money all wealth Jesus owns it all it's a true statement all the money in all the banks over all time even though this is confederate money all money all banks from all time out of all bags, out of every pocket that exists right now, out of every hiding place in every home, from every single country, from every single person, all through history, up to today, this very moment, the Bible teaches us that all wealth is his. So yes, money does apply to this story but so do other things that God owns. So yes, God owns all wealth. What else does God own? God owns all land. And you say, but wait a minute now. Wait a minute, Harley. I I bought my land. It's mine. My name is on the deed. Somewhere in some courthouse, In this country somewhere, your name is on the deed for that land. But here's what happened. Somewhere, at some point in history, someone decided, that's my land. And they eventually sold that land that they decided was theirs to someone else who sold it to someone else, who sold it to someone else and someone else and someone else, and eventually someone sold it to you. And so now, yes, your name is in a courthouse somewhere listed under that property, but I I need to tell you this, but it's not really yours. You want proof? Stop paying your property taxes. See whose land it is. You're just renting your land from the government. It's not really yours. Stop paying it. See what happens. But you know what? It's not theirs either. Yes, your name is on it, but it's not really yours. Whomever was the first person to claim that land as their own, you know what they did? They tried to take it from God. Guess what? God still owns it. How do I know? Because he created it. He is the owner. I haven't researched this, but as far as I know, there's really only one piece of land that has ever been really given away. He gave that to the nation of Israel. God owns it. He's the creator. So God owns all wealth. God owns all land. And guess what else God owns? Listen to what Genesis 1.1 says. Let's go to the very beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But you know what? It doesn't stop. God's ownership does not stop with the heavens and the earth. The psalmist helps us understand this. Psalm 24. Listen to what David said. David wrote this. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, everything in it. And he goes on, he says, the world and all its people belong to him. I don't think the list can be any larger. God owns everything. The land and everything on the land. God's name, here it is right here, is on the deed of everything earth land water the atmosphere it's all his everything on the land things money wealth structures guess what they're all made with his stuff it's all his And David reminds us, the world, the things on the world, and yes, 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 even all the people are his. Now, thankfully, any longer, we don't think that people can be owned. But think about it. For your life according to what we've just read, is not really yours. Your life belongs to your Creator. And think about it. This church, it is not ours. It is His. This building, that's not the church, it's just a building. This building is not ours. It is His. The people who make up this church, that's what the church is. It is a group of people. The people who make up this church, they are not ours. They do not belong to me or you or to Stuttgart Harvest Church. The people who make up this church are not ours, they are His. The people who live in Stuttgart, who are not in a church this morning, the people who live in your neighborhood, in your town, in and and Hazen, and Desire, all of these places, all around us. They don't belong to you, they don't belong to me, they are His. Now I'm not saying that every person created is going to have a home with God in heaven. I'm saying they belong to Him because He's the Creator. He's the creator. God is the owner of everything. The earth, the people, the plants, the animals, the wealth, everything is his. And Jesus describes with this story that he takes all of his stuff, all of his stuff, and he asked you and me and them, who he was speaking to at that moment, to manage that stuff for him. So here's a question. If God has asked you to manage his wealth, His stuff, His land, His people, everything that He's given you. If He's asked you to manage it, you are a manager. And think with me for just a moment. Here's a question. To you, the manager, the manager of God's things, how did you do last year? How did you do with God's things last year? If God called you into his office, had you sit down, and he pulled out all the accounts, he pulled out all the information, had it on his desk, and it was time for your performance review. Your end of year job review. What kind of grade would you get as a manager? What would God place? What would He write about you? What would He put in your employee file? I think here's a truth. For most of us. Certainly not all of us, but it includes me. Most of us suffer, including me, from position. Disorder. We have grown up thinking that we are the owners. And the idea that we are actually managers and not owners has us confused. It surprises us. When the manager begins to act like the owner, things go wrong very quickly decisions are made from the wrong perspective now jesus used in this story the example of money because it's so easy i think for us to understand the position and how important it is when you think it is yours you treat it you treat it like it's yours and i know i know i know i know i know i know you're saying But Harley, that's my job. And I work those hours for that money. It's mine. I I understand what you're saying. I've said the same thing too. In fact, I've told God that as well. But he reminds me. No. It's all mine. It's God's. Who gave you the ability to do what you do at your job? Who has allowed this nation to become the most wealthy and the prosperous nation that is known? And in modern times for sure. God has allowed this. And it doesn't matter if you are among the poorest and you make less than $2 a day among the poorest of the world, which is most of the world. $2 a day. It doesn't matter if you're making $2 a day or if you're making $200 a day. It is God's. And the truth is most of us suffer from positional disorder and we feel like we have been raised and taught that it is ours and we treat it the way we want to treat it. And that's the problem with positional disorder. We are not the owners, we are the managers, but yet we treat it as if we're the owners and we treat it like it is ours. And so we do with it what we want But if it is actually not yours, this is where it confuses us. If it is actually not yours, you don't do with it what you want. You manage it for the owner. And you do with it what he wants. You don't start with the question, now what do I want to do? What do I want to save for? What do I want to do with this money? What do I want to buy? No, you start with, God, what do you want me to do with your money? It's yours, God, so I will manage it. I will use it the way you want it used. What do you want me to do with yours? But if I think I'm the owner, I do whatever I want. But if you're the manager, you do whatever the owner wants. And when we get our position confused, we live confused. And our life gets confusing. Because we are not actually the owners, according to Scripture. We are God's managers. Now, there are two final parts to this verse. It says this McKinley's going to put on the screen. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them. He entrusted his money to them. Who are them? It's his servants. We said another word for that is employees, those who were closest to him, his faithful. And in this story, that clearly represents us. So he has entrusted something to us, his followers. We are his managers. And then he closes with this, while he was gone. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them, the managers, while he was gone. Jesus is saying there is a time period. There's a beginning. I'm entrusting this to you while I'm gone. And there's an ending. There's a promise in that saying, I will be back. A time period. Upon his return, there will be a shift in responsibility. But while he's gone... You are the entrusted manager. And we are not told when he'll be back. We are just told that he will be back. Now, let's land this big plane this morning. There are many applications to what we're talking about today, because all of this is his. The applications that are immediate and obvious, yes. Money that goes through your hands, money that goes through your bank, yes, it applies. What are you doing with his money that he is passing through your hands? It's a valid question. It is a worthy application, and I would encourage you to talk to God about that. What are you doing with His money that He is passing through your hands? Worthy application. That's not where we're going today. We could say time. What are you doing with the time that God has given you every single day? What are you doing with his time that he is allowing you to live on this earth today? What are you doing with that? It's a valid question, a worthy application. I would encourage you to talk to God about that. How are you managing his time? But that's not where we're going today. Property. What are you doing with the things the land, the things, the, all of that. What are you doing with that, that he is passing through your life? It's a worthy question. You should think about that. And you should talk to God. How am I managing those things that you are passing through my life, God? It is yours. I am managing it for you. How am I doing? You should have a conversation with God this year about that. It's worthy. But that's not where we're going today. Even your car. The car or the truck that you're driving. It's his. I, I know. I, 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 actually, for most of us, it's the banks. But it's still his. And we could ask that question, how are you managing what God has placed in your life? And you should have a conversation with God about that. But today, we're not talking about your car. And today, we're not talking about your home. We're not talking about any of those things, although they are equal and they are worthy of application from this story that God is telling. And I would encourage you to have a conversation with God about those this year. But that's not where we're going today. All of that is great. They're all important. And yes, please talk with God about those. But this morning, we want to narrow this to a very specific application for us today. The manager, that's you. The manager is to care for whatever is placed in his hands, right? Right. We are the manager. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are the manager of whatever God has placed in your hands. And this morning, I want to talk about one very specific thing. How are you managing the souls with whom you come into contact? We have a core value for that. It's called acceptance. At Stuttgart Harvest Church, that's one of the reasons why we don't dress up on Sunday mornings, honestly. Not just so we can be comfortable. But it's for those folks around us, No, if they don't work in a suit and tie, they may not own one. There's nothing wrong with wearing a suit and tie on Sunday mornings, nothing wrong with that at all. But in an effort for us to help communicate to the people around us that we accept you. We don't ask them to go buy a new wardrobe to walk into this old car dealership where this church meets. We say, just wear something. In the summer, I wear shorts. In the winter, I put on long pants. Just wear something. And it's not because we're so great and we're haughty and we can just wear whatever we want and we don't care what other people say or what they think. No, no. Here's why we do it. Because we don't want what we have on or what they do or do not have in their closet to be the reason they don't come here. We accept them just like God accepts us. We meet them right where they are, and we grow with them one step at a time toward Jesus. That's our goal. We accept them. We love them. How are you managing the souls around you? How are you escorting those souls into this room where together, you and me, we, the church, can point them Toward a life-changing, eternity-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. How are you managing those souls? Now let's narrow this down even more. How are you, if if a manager is caring for whatever is placed in his hands. How are you caring for the souls who are in, right now, who are in Stuttgart Harvest Church? The people around you right now. The people who will be in the next worship experience in just a moment. The people who are listening online. How are you managing the souls who are part of Stuttgart Harvest Church right now? Do you come in? and out on Sundays, back in the next week, and then out again? Is your care for the people around you summarized by, well, yeah, yeah, Harley, I mean, I, mean, I smile at some folks. I, I, I said hi to some folks as I came in, and as I left, I said uh, to a few folks, I said, have a great week. I shook some hands, I patted some backs, I hugged a few necks, and then I left, and I went about my week, because I'm going to be back the next week, and I'll do it again. That's how I cared for them. And then maybe for some of us during the week, we go above and beyond the call, and maybe occasionally you'll get on Facebook and you'll like somebody's post. Or maybe you'll really get out there and you'll make a comment on one of their posts. And if I'm really, really, really involved, I might send them a text or give them a phone call, maybe an email to someone who is part of the church. Here's where I'm going. If God desires us. And he does. To be a family. Do you really know. Your church family. We have a core value. That talks about community. It says that we, we live life. Together. We grow in unity together as a family. We grow together and we care for each other as a family. Stuttgart Harvest Church family. Do you really know what's going on with your family? But the people in your family here. Are you managing your family here as God has placed them into your life, in your hands as a manager? Are you taking care of your family while the owner is gone? I can hear it now. Harley, Harley, that's what the pastor's for, you silly man. And all I can say is wrong. That's wrong. That's what the ministers do. The pastor is simply the one who, and the ones who lead, and they teach, and they train, and they equip the ministers of the church to minister. That's what the pastor does. And you, according to God's teaching, you, all of you, are the ministers. That's the problem with most churches. They have a pastor who is a minister. And then they have a bunch of attenders. But that's not what God says. God, God says there's a pastor, a pastor or two or three, there's some pastors. But everyone in the church They're all the ministers. According to God's teaching, you, my church family, are all ministers. You have all been called to manage and care for the family. Manage and care for the souls that God has placed together in this church, Stuttgart Harvest Church. And for us, I can't speak for other churches. I can't speak for other churches. I can only speak for us. But for us, the best place to care for one another is in the small group. The best place for you to show love to other people in this church is from within your small group. The best place to celebrate the good things that God is doing in the lives of other people is in your small group. The best place to walk with someone who is hurting is in your small group. The best place to meet the needs of the lives of those who are part of this church It is from within a small group. You see, we can get lost in this big room. We can get lost in that wide hallway. We can get lost in that big lobby, in that big parking lot. We can get lost. We can slip in and slip out and never ever really be involved in the lives of the people in this church. But that's not being a good manager of the care and the love that God wants you to take and to give. It is in the small group where we learn how to actually love each other. It's where you learn how to love difficult people. It's where you learn how to love each other and how you practice loving each other. It's in a small group where we learn and we practice how to care for each other. That's where we learn and we practice how to listen to each other and how to encourage each other and how to practice walking with each other through death and through pain and through suffering and through hurt and through uh, celebrations as well, not just the bad things. It is through the small group where we get to help mothers with new babies. It's where you get to help newlyweds, and even oldlyweds, and even the occasional oddlyweds. It's in the small group. When someone experiences a life disruption, you walk beside them through that. Through it all. And the best place for us to do that is in the small group. It's in the small group where we celebrate God changing lives. And we celebrate God rearranging our priorities. The small group is where lives are managed. Where they are cared for. We don't do it perfectly. We're learning. That's why I use the word practice. And we're learning. But that's where it happens. God has entrusted these lives to you. If you, are, you may be new here. You may have only been coming a couple of weeks. But I'm telling you. You're here for a reason. And God has entrusted the lives around you. To you. How have you Been doing. I'm gonna ask McKinley to put the list of groups up on the board. I'm gonna talk about them for just a moment. We're gonna leave those up for about fifteen or twenty seconds after I finish talking here in just a moment. I'm gonna ask you to look at these groups. These are not perfect group. There's not a perfect group up there. This is just where we're starting. And I'm gonna ask you to look at those groups. And I'm going to ask you this morning, will you get involved with your church family and sign up for a group today on the back of your connection card in the comment section? Make sure we have, we got a few last week that had a sign up for a group and no information on the front. We don't know who you are. There was several anonymous who signed up. (laughs) We don't know you anonymous. Put your name on the front, contact information, and your group number on the back. I want you just to look at this. Will you get involved with your church family? I'm going to be quiet for just a moment while this is on the screen. I pray you're beginning to see the importance of a small group. They are not just something we do. They are who we are. And if you're not actively Involved in one. You're missing a big point of who we are at Stuttgart Harvest Church. And how we care for one another. And you might say, Harley, but I'm independent. I hate groups. I don't do the group thing. I'm independent. I don't need all of that kind of care, Harley. I don't need that. And I'm not going to try to convince you that you need To be cared for. Because you've missed the point. You. Are supposed to care. For them. You are supposed to care for them. And The best place to know them. The best place to know. How they need to be cared for. Is in a small group. As God's manager, will you please join a small group and care for the people in your group while the owner, Jesus, is gone? Let's pray. Father, as the psalmist wrote, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all the people belong to him. And God, you have placed some of those people, some of yours, into Stuttgart Harvest Church family, and we know many, many more will come here in the next few years. And Father, they are not ours, they are yours, but you have called us to care for each other. You have called us to love each other, to help each other. As you're in the process of changing us all, you have called us to care. And God, may we not just meet occasionally and casually on Sunday. May we actually grow deeper together. May we care for one another. May we be willing to step outside of ourselves and become part of a group throughout the year, every year. May we be good managers of the lives with which you have placed In our path, Jesus, may we do the right thing. May we handle in the right way the lives that you have entrusted with us. Jesus, give us the wisdom to know what to do this morning with what we have heard. And we ask you to give us the courage to do it. Amen.